I did not realize just how much it was going to impact my life. Right. Even as I was looking down, I'm laying in the middle of the street. I look down at my leg and it's, it's crumbled into pieces. My foot is dangling off and there's blood squirting out with every pulse because my femoral artery was severed. And even then, when I looked down at my leg, one of my first thoughts was, oh gosh, I may have to train clients on crutches for a while. I'm Doug Bobst, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage Podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please, sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobes, and today we have an extremely inspirational person on the show. Um, gosh, if you saw where she was even like a few years ago, you would never expect um, to see where she's at. But I want to introduce you to my friend, Amberle Largo. Um, I said that right, right? Yeah, you said see, it right. <laughs> see, I, I, I do do some research. But anyway, um, Amberly has become a friend. She's one of the most like genuine and kind people I've ever come across. From the moment we kind of connected um, through a mutual friend, we she's been so open to um, just serving and helping. And the, you all know I'm about servant leadership. Um, she's in recovery. She, she survived all kinds of abuse, trauma. I mean you name it. She's been there, nearly lost her leg um, in a motorcycle accident a few years back and is now like on a mission um, to, you know, help other people um, grow and use their negatives, turn into a positive. So Amberly, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been kind of a wild ride, huh? We started with a live on Instagram today together and, but it's been so awesome to get to talk to you. Like when, when we were introduced to each other, we just, I felt like it was instant connection like yeah, from you, and your experience and my just instant connection. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And it's kind of funny that we are kind of now doing our interview and talking, um, because at the time that we're doing this recording, like we're in the midst and I'm sure when this episode gets released, it's not going to be any, it's not going to really be gone, gone away. We're in the midst of a global crisis right now with the coronavirus. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that we've both kind of been through the ringer a bit in our lives, I mean, that we, as it's kind of like made us in a way prepared for stuff like this. And what I mean like by that is that it's not necessarily like we're, you know, have tons of money to just be dumping into the economy right now, or that we um, aren't stressed out. But when you go through some really challenging times in your life, it it helps you become stronger and gives you that armor to go through other things that come at you. Because, you know, people, I think, get this, and we'll talk about this, the, this idea that once you get into recovery, once you overcome some massive hurdle, that all of a sudden life's problems just go away. And they mm -hmm. don't. So like you see a lot of people, I, I feel sorry for a lot of people who are either newly sober or newly into the recovery and haven't found that rhythm yet where they've kind of like really dug really deep to work on themselves that are struggling right now mm -hmm. because 
many of them, you know, might be, you know, out of employment, lost their jobs, not being able to make in-person meetings, which if they don't have the technology to support themselves at home or don't have the, maybe the energy to hop on a virtual call is tough. Um, but what I want to know from you is how the heck did you stay so positive um, when in a, in a matter of minutes, you know, you were told you got into a motorcycle accident you're riding your Harley. Um, I, one of the most, yeah, I mean, it was the, one of the most horrific accidents I've seen. I mean, I watched your video on the doctors and I was like, Oh my gosh. Oh, yeah, boy. They really showed some graphics. on. Oh the man. I remember oh. like showing it to somebody and I was like, wow. make sure you have a, make sure you don't have a weak stomach. And then I know it was pretty crazy, you know, and what's so crazy at the time, um, I did not realize just how much it was going to impact my life. Right. Even as I was looking down, I'm laying in the middle of the street. I look down at my leg and it's, it's crumbled into pieces. My foot is dangling off and there's blood squirting out with every pulse because my femoral artery was severed. And even then when I looked down at my leg, one of my first thoughts was, Oh gosh, I may have to train clients on crutches for a while. Like my first thought was, <laughs> what am I going to do next? Right, like, right, what, right. Not, uh, not, oh my God, I may die. What's going on? Not until I got into the ambulance and I was squeezing the paramedic's legs so hard. I mean, I feel sorry for that guy. <laughs> but I looked at him and I remember wanting to make eye contact with all of the paramedics and they wouldn't look at me. And that's when I got a little scared because I thought, wow, they won't look at me. Is it that serious? Am I going to die? I mean, I was in, and the pain was unbearable. And that's when I knew too, how important connection is like really connection is what has got me through so much. It's connection to my higher power connection with others, connection to a loving, supportive community, because it has really been a challenge getting through, you know, I woke up out of a coma and they told me they're going to amputate my leg and that I had a 1% chance of saving it. But that 1% chance was my glimmer of hope. And that glimmer of hope is what got me through 34 surgeries to save my leg. But that was really just the beginning of my healing journey because when it really got hard was when I was diagnosed with the nerve disease called complex regional pain syndrome. It's dubbed the suicide disease because, you know, with healing, I, I grew up an athlete and a dancer and I'd had plenty of injuries and you get injured, you heal and then you keep going. So I was thinking, okay, this is going to be hard, but with each surgery, I'll prepare for the next one and I'll heal and I'll get better. But when you're diagnosed with the disease and you're told, there is no known cure. You need to go back and get in your wheelchair. Your life is never going to be the same. I was hopeless. I, I then lost my career. I lost my confidence because I was completely scarred, am scarred from the hip down. My, you know, leg didn't work properly. I was stuck in a hospital bed. And like you using fitness for your recovery, fitness was my medicine and that was stripped away from me. And I knew even in the hospital bed 
that if I could just do some kind of movement, I would feel better. And so I had a chin up bar installed in my hospital bed. I had a friend bring me some dumbbells and I did what I could to stay strong mentally, but I'm not going to lie. It was really hard when I got out of the hospital because there were no nurses to help me. There were no doctors. I was on my own. If I wanted to walk again, it was up to me. And I had plenty of people telling me, you'll never be a trainer again. What are you going to do? I saw that. <laughs> and I think what it takes is a real willingness to want to get better. And you got to get up every day, no matter what you're going through, no matter if you're recovering from a surgery or you're recovering from an addiction or you're getting over a divorce or a, a relationship that has just ended or you've lost your job, especially now times when people are losing their jobs right now. And yeah, yeah you're right. And yeah. I think, like real quick, just like I wanted to uh, jump in really fast and just say that like, you know, one of the things that's really fascinating about your story, and I think things happen for a reason, is that fitness was your your drug, your medicine, right? And sometimes I think God puts things in our lives to like give us like some sort of reality and gut check. And I'm not saying that that's why you got into the accident, but I know that you getting into that accident and not being able to to run like you did helped you unpack some things deep down. You're so right. That right. That that maybe you wouldn't have unpacked had you. They would back. still be there. I'd right? still be carrying around that shame, and I would still be running away from all my problems because that's what I did. I ran. I physically ran. I never and, looked at my problems. And you and you got an and and, I, and one thing about Amberly that you may not know is, you know, people would look at would have looked at her and probably been like, "You have no problems. You're in." you're a professional dancer, you're in MC Hammer videos, you're living in, you know, you're in LA, right? Mm -hmm. you're, um, you're an athlete, like all these things. And you've been in the fitness industry for a long time as well. Oh, I was right? doing fitness videos. I was sponsored right. by Nike. Right. I was, I had three trainers that worked for me and life was good. Yeah. But then deep down, you know, is when we start to peel the onion back, we realize a lot of people aren't happy. You know, I was watching um, a video one time. I, I forget. I don't know who was. I think it was Diane Sawyer. Somebody was interviewing uh, somebody. I was somebody of notoriety. I don't remember who, but they were they were pretty much they were sharing their story and they were talking about all the trauma they'd been through and the abuse. And it was like it was graphic. Like I remember saying, like, you know, I don't I don't know how how people could really get through and watching this because it was so like traumatic to watch. I think for some people. But they, I remember her asking her a question. She's like, through all this, how are you still smiling? Mm -hmm. And I remember her, her answer was, I'm smiling, so I hold back the tears. I don't want anybody to hear how broken I am. And mm -hmm. so I think people get this notion that just because you have a good life or you're attractive or – I'm talking about anybody. I'm not just talking about just you. But deep down, there's nothing there. And so I think it's proof of that because – um, you, I mean, there's a lot of people that would have been in your position and, and, near, and nearly lost your leg that would have taken painkillers recreationally, been fine, done their rehabilitation work, gotten back on their feet. But this kind of like led you into something again, that was like, like you said, like was there for you from the beginning. You, you spiraled into addiction. Talk about like what was going through your mind when you did that. Was there like, were you taking it 
be just simply because of the pain or did it get to a point where you were like numbing like feelings inside of yourself? Well, no, I, I was very positive and doing the best I could. And when I, they, I was told I wouldn't walk for two years and at about four months, I was upright on crutches when that was like a miracle even to be upright for my leg to be in pieces and still have openings and, and to be upright because everything was compromised, muscle flap, open grafts, I mean, everything. And so I was positive and I was so, you know, proud that I was upright and I still had hope that I was, I was still writing out exercise plans for clients. I was still preparing to train other clients, but it wasn't until I learned that the pain wasn't going to get better. And I was trying everything for my pain. I was doing the medical procedures, doing, you know, spinal blocks, ketamine infusions that were, I was infused by the doctor every other day to try to reboot my nervous system. And the disease I have is ranked highest on the pain scale. That means it hurts worse than passing a kidney stone or having a baby. And I've done both of those things. And I can attest to having this disease nonstop every day is after a while, it, if you don't have the right tools, it can break you. And what happened was things weren't getting better. I wasn't able to go back to work. We had a lien on our house. We were about to lose everything. I was the main breadwinner and I'd lost everything. So I did start to lose my positive mindset. And I, what happened was I had a glass of wine and I realized, oh, wow, this kind of helps with the pain. And it worked. And then it didn't work. So I had to have two glasses. And then before I knew it, I was drinking every day. And I remember thinking, this is not healthy. I'm in the health and wellness industry. But if this is helping me get through it, then I guess I'll have to do this every day. Right, right. And so I started drinking every day and then I became quickly dependent on it. And my world got smaller and smaller. And the more I drank, it did numb out the feelings. It helped numb out the pain, but it was a vicious cycle because I would drink and then I would wake up and I would feel worse. And so we can never outrun our pain. We can never cover up our pain. We have to let it gently rise to the surface embrace it, feel the feelings as hard as it may be. And that's the only way we can get through it. And so it took me really hitting rock bottom, being in a place where my liver was failing. Um, I was went septic and I was in ICU for three days. My kidneys were shutting down Wow! for me to get to a place where I was like, Oh my God, this is life or death. How did a good girl like me, end up like this. There has to be more. I need help. And it wasn't until I admitted that I needed help, that I had a problem, which was really hard because my husband is a Lieutenant commander right? and I was hiding my drinking from him. And so, so you weren't even drinking in front of him. This was just all by yourself. This is, Oh God. When I was in so much pain, I was trying to hide it from the world. Right. I didn't want anybody to see me in pain. I didn't want anybody to know I was trying to cover up my pain. See, I grew up with hide your crazy and be a lady. So no matter what, <laughs> you hide your shit and you show up. Right. And do you think a lot of what you were beginning to realize is that a lot of this stemmed from 
how you grew up, like you're talking about hiding your pain. And I know you spoke about, you know, some of the stuff that you wrote in your book. Do you think a lot of the, and if you can share as openly as you want, like what do you think was at the root of that beneath the car accident, beneath the being addicted to running? Like what was, what were you running from? Because you talked about you could no longer run from your problems. And I think a lot of people, you're right. They want to get rid of pain as fast as they freaking can. They don't want to mm-hmm. sit in it. And I know when we were in, on Instagram doing our live, we talked about like sitting in the pain is not a bad thing because that's where there's some blessings that come. You're, you, you get used well, to it. Well, at like, the moment, you do not think it's a good thing. No. It's, you, it's horrible. It's horrible. But after the fact, you look back and you're like, wow, I'm so glad that. I was able to sit through it because eventually the more you run from your problems, they'll they'll follow you everywhere. And it'll be this big build up. Look, I I thought that I had dealt with a lot. I had um, talked about being sexually abused with a therapist. I had read books. I did everything I could to heal, but it wasn't until I wrote about it and was going already going through so much pain and I didn't really have a tool because the only tool I really had was my fitness. And when that was stripped away and I realized that running was my drug of choice, it was what made me feel better. And when I couldn't do that anymore is what, when things got bad, when things got really bad. So I had to really figure out how to, get better and do it quick because I was dying. I was literally killing myself slowly. I was felt dead inside. And, but there was this one thing that had the most impact on my healing and that's resilience. And we all have resilience and it is our ability to move through challenging times and move past fear and let go of the shame and learn to thrive in our circumstances, even if our circumstances aren't necessarily what we wanted them to be or look like, kind of like what's going on right now. Um, You know, we can't really control everything that goes around in our world, but we can control how we think about it, what we do about it. And Um, if we're going to react to it and what you said earlier, just to kind of unpack what you said about, do I think that how I was raised makes a difference in my life? I think absolutely how we are raised as children impacts our life for the rest of our life. Our mentors, if you're lucky enough to have a good mentor when you're younger, that certainly impacted my life in the most positive way. You know, I had uh, my coach, my track coach, my, my dance instructor that taught me business, that taught me how to be a teacher. I've carried all that over with me into adulthood, but you know, we all go through stuff as kids and it may, it has made me very aware of how I raise my children. And even with what's going on right now with this, this coronavirus, you know, our kids are watching us and they are learning how to deal with stress and challenges and we can teach them how to be resilient or we can teach them how to panic and freak out. And I'm so grateful that my daughter's fine. She's downstairs homeschooling. We go for walks around the neighborhood. We find things to do to bring us joy. And I think that's what recovery is, is finding ways to have joy in your life as well. 
Man, you what you just said, I wanted you to repeat like 57 times, and that is people are watching you right now and how you handle stress, how you handle the situation. Are you going to be the, the victor? Are you going to be the victim? Like, what are you doing now to help mm-hmm. yourself get better? Like, what are you doing? What, what are you, who are you showing up as, right? Are you showing up as that person that, you know, you are when things are good? Or are you automatically just shifting into this like different, completely different version of you once things get bad, right? Boy, and the truth comes out, doesn't the it? The truth comes out when you handle it. You when, see it. And it was funny. I was talking to a good, to a dear friend of mine who said, uh, this, is, this is before this even happened. He said, this is probably two years ago. He's like, you'll find out really quick what people's true colors when there's a fathom of food, where there's a shortage of food. He's like, you'll mm-hmm. find out who will kill somebody for food. You'll mm-hmm. find out who will steal. You'll find out who will manipulate and lie. You'll, but you also, on the positive, find out the people that stick to their guns, that, are, that maintain integrity, and also the people that like, are there to help other people, the people that are like, you know, giving away rolls of toilet paper, right? Or giving away like canned goods, mm-hmm. volunteering their time. Like you'll find out who, who people are at the core. And because it's easy to be a good person when things are good, right? I mean, anybody can do that, right? It's just like it's easy to be happy with your investment account when the stock market's good. There's a lot of people that I'm sure right now are pretty, as I'm looking right now, it's like the Dow Jones at 19,000 when it was at near 30,000 a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I just, I think right now, you know, there's a lot of people that are ready to throw in the towel, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that are looking at themselves in the mirror and saying, why is this happening to me? That's the problem. Right? Yeah. Because instead of saying, why me? You just have to say, what's next? Like, why not? Because, me? yeah, because that's the difference. What resilient people do is they don't get caught up in asking why me, because the truth is we are not, we're, we're all the same. Adversity doesn't discriminate. We all go through hard times. And when you realize that you're not the only one that's going through a hard time, that we all go through hard times, you don't feel so discriminated against. You don't feel like you're the only one. And that's one of the, the, the things that has saved me in recovery is connecting with other people who've been through a similar situation. And I think that's key in recovering from anything that you're going through when you're going through a hard time is just reaching out and talking to people. And when you see somebody that's been through something difficult, it gives you hope that you can get through it too. You know, you're a hundred percent right. And I think the thing that we need to all remember is that, um, we have to be a beacon of light, like mm-hmm. especially now. And it shift your perspective. Yeah, and your perspective. What's exactly? And that's what I mean. Like, because I believe we are the we're the we are the energy we give out and the energy we attract, right? So I think that if you're somebody whose perspective right now is well, the world's going to end, what's the point? What's the matter? Who's going to save me? Who's going to help me? Like you're going to live in that same mindset. And that's not only going to carry on this situation, because this isn't going to be the last time you face adversity. Neither mm-hmm. one of us, not to be the last time that you do, you do, I do anybody listening to this show. So it's, you're teaching yourself how to manage stress and how to manage adversity. And honestly, mm-hmm. like that's one of the biggest, I mean, not to get on a soapbox, one of the biggest issues I have with kids smoking pot isn't the pot itself. It's that you're teaching them to cope with stress in a, in a, in a, in a, in a way that's negative right? That's mm-hmm. can be addictive for some. And I'm not, again, I'm not here to, I'm not 
going to talk about like my view on it, but that was, that's one of the big, when people ask me about their kids and smoking, I'm like, well, why, what are they, how are they using it? Are they using it to manage stress? Are they using it? Cause they like to taste a pot. What's their life look like? Like, what are they doing it for? So I think that having people like yourself out there, especially in the community that you're in, you know, you're in the recovery community, you're, you're a beacon of hope for a lot of women out there who, cause you've been through some shit. Like, Mm-hmm. surviving um you know an abusive relationship that you you went through an abusive relationship with um and got divorced right yeah and you know it's interesting i don't i don't talk about that a lot um out of respect to my oldest daughter who it's her father um i don't even talk about it in the book very much because out of respect to right, my daughter right. but actually that time when i got a divorce from him he it was a really horrible, horrible divorce. And I found myself at age 24. I was a single mom with a one-year-old and talk about canned goods. I was lucky to get, you know, go to the dollar store and buy a canned good for us to share for dinner. And so I've seen the hard times where I've had to build myself up because he took everything I owned. He, I had nothing. I was, I, luckily I had girlfriends that would come over to my house and stay at night. And I would actually go be a Jägermeister girl or a Grey Goose vodka girl and stand at the bars and pass out samples. I didn't even drink back then, but that paid $25 an hour and it was something I could do while my daughter slept at night. So I didn't miss time with her. So it was just, and I was, you know, you do what you have to do to make ends meet. And I'm so blessed that I had girlfriends that would come over at five o'clock in the morning. So they could stay at the house while I went to go train a client and, you know, that was 30 minutes away. So, you know, it, it really takes a tribe. And especially when you're going through hard times, you learn how to work together. Hopefully you learn to work together. And so um, I think that everything that's going on right now, it's teaching people. And, and what if we could just take this all as a lesson to kind of pause for a minute, to recalibrate, to look within and listen to our heart and connect with our soul and really find our purpose. If you don't know it, like, I, I don't know when people say find your purpose I never had to sit there and think about mine. I always knew in my heart. I think if you listen to your heart, answers come. Yes. Yeah, you're right. And I think you're right. And yeah, we don't have to get too, too involved in the, in the whole divorce thing. I mean, I just brought that up as part of the fact that you've been through that. Obviously you've been open about your sexual abuse um, when you were younger. Um, and that doesn't even include like, the um the motorcycle accident where you nearly lost your leg and got diagnosed with a suicide disease and then from from that looking at your past life as being this fitness icon right you're sponsored by nike which is extremely hard to have right you're in music videos with celebrities you're professional dancer and then all of a sudden you're told like you're gonna lose your leg like holy crap and then you get addicted to alcohol And then now where you are, I just think it's very inspirational to know that for people listening to this, that if somebody like yourself, who's literally been through all that you've been through, can battle out and still maintain a positive attitude, 
about things. And I'm not saying that we're never going to be negative because sure, like I haven't met a person that's not negative, like in some shape or fashion at some part of their day, some part of their life. And the people who that aren't, I don't trust because it's like, there's something, <laughs> I mean, I'm being serious. I'm like, there's something about that that I'm like, <laughs> well, it's, it's not to get rid of all the negative thoughts right. and all that. It'll always be there, but the goal is to change um, your response to them and how you yes. think about them. And it's to really shift perspective. And for me, the gift of my accident was it shifted my perspective on life in general. Yes. And, you know, when I was at my lowest point and I was, you know, the pain wasn't going away and I was drinking every day and I went to the doctor and I said, I need you to just cut off my leg. And he said, what? I said, yeah, I just cut it off. I said, it's too much pain. I can't handle it. I, I need you to amputate. And he goes, well, you had 34 surgeries. And, and if we amputate it, you have a nerve disease. It could make it worse. Right. And it was at that point that I thought, oh, crap. Well, this is it. These are the cards I've been dealt. And I have a choice. I can keep going down the road of despair or I can choose to make my life better. And I think anybody who's listening today, I just want you to know and remember you always have a choice and you have the power to create the life that you've always imagined. And one of the ways that I started to do this is I really got grounded down into to gratitude and gratitude is alchemy. It really, in the moment when I was staring down at my leg and I thought, this is my life of pain. I searched high and low and you can call it getting grateful, you know, counting your blessings or searching for that, you know, silver lining, whatever you want to call it. But that is what really saved me. That and by the grace of God is where I found light. And once we find that little bit of light in us, we have to find ways to keep it just flaming bright. So be around people who inspire you and who are passionate. You know, you have to really choose wisely who you hang out with, but not just who you're hanging out with. Who are you following on social media? Are you following people that are negative? Or are you following people that are inspiring you? Like I can't follow people that are really negative or like, I can't be in a support group where it's a pity party because you know what? I don't want to have a pity party. I want to celebrate life. I want to spark joy inside me. And so it's really important who you surround yourself with. I, I always say, get rid of the doggy downers and stick with the puppy uppers. And so <laughs> I like that. Can you yeah, repeat that get, again? Yeah. Oh, my husband makes fun of me for this, but I always say, get rid of the doggy downers and stick with the puppy uppers, stick with the people that are fun and like motivate you and inspire you and want you to be your best self. Because let me tell you, the people you hang around before long, you're going to end up being just like them. I mean, even for my daughter in school, she last year loved hanging around these troublemakers because they were funny. They did some funny stuff and they got in trouble. And so before long, she was getting sent to the principal's office too. And she came home crying and she said, but mama, I didn't do anything. And I said, but you were hanging out with them. So you're guilty by association. And she got really upset. And it's funny too, when you say that, that like I, when I was a kid, I never believed that either. My parents would be like, you are judged by the company you keep. It's and, while, true. and while I'm not like, I'm not for like judging, but, but, in the sense, what I, when, as I interpret it, you are who your tribe is. Like, I literally say, like, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Like, and, 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 mm -hmm. and I say that because 
like I can look back at every every friend group I've associated with, and not they were bad people. We just made bad choices. That when I was in that crowd, we made the same decisions, mm-hmm. right? We thought better, and even now, where I'm like surrounding myself, I got like I'm very blessed and thankful that I joined a mastermind. Like like we had our retreat in L.A. As you know, like that when the Wednesday night, like the night we're supposed to be like celebrating, is when you know, Donald Trump came out and talked and said he was, you know, putting the travel ban on and NBA went, uh, canceled their season. And the last night of our retreat, and I'm like, thank God, like, and I'm like, holy, but thank gosh, like, I was I'm connected to a lot of positive people. Did you that, have to fly home that night? Did you get to do the party for that? Or did yeah, you? Yeah, fly? yeah, we, yeah, we didn't, yeah, there was, the, I think the travel ban was just, I was, yeah, I stayed, I was in LA until Thursday night, um, Thursday afternoon. But my, my, I guess my point is that, like, because of hanging around positive people and not just in the mastermind, but in my friends and everything, it's helped elevate me to kind of where I am today. And the same I'm sure with you. And there's other people out there that if they're looking to really survive during this time, like if you're a loner and you don't feel like you have anybody, like get online and join a support group. I guarantee you now there's probably a thousand, and I haven't looked, I could be coronavirus support groups. I, I guarantee you there's coronavirus support groups already. Well, I mean, uh, I'm in a 12 step recovery program and I led a meeting this morning through zoom. Right. And uh, so we could all, you know, I connected with my sobriety sisters. And so, um, also I wanted to just put it out there to anybody listening that I, I love being of service and I check every single one of my DMS, every one of my emails and I get back to people and a lot of people go, Oh my gosh, you, you emailed me for, or when I bought, they, <laughs> I had a lady the other day, she goes, she ordered a book. And so I sent her a message. I recognized the name. I sent her a message on Instagram and I said, thank you so much for ordering a book. I'm going to get it in the mail to you tomorrow. And she said, Oh my gosh, you get those book orders and those emails. And I'm like, I sure do. It's me. I read all my emails. So if you're struggling, reach out to me. Um, sometimes it's even easier to reach out to someone who maybe you don't know, you feel like you can connect and share with them, you know, um, especially if you're struggling with some of the same, you know, circumstances. So please feel free to email me or at amberlylago.com or on Instagram, DM me. Yeah, I think, and I think, you know, a lot of people when they gain a big follow, I look at your following on Instagram and I'm blown away, not just because of your following, you have a, a good, a really good following, but because you get like 500 comments on your posts. Um, and that to me just shows how authentic and real you are, right? Because even when I'm like chatting with you, like picking your brain and you're like, well, I just like did it like this way. I respond to every DM. And, and so you've built like an authentic tribe. And I just know, I know that just from like, Oh, I love my tribe. I mean, right? they're, I love my tribe and we have each other's backs, you know? Yeah. Um, they're, I, I, on days where I'm feeling like, oh my gosh, this is so hard. I don't know if I can do this. I will get a message from someone on Instagram and they're like, oh my gosh, I listened to your podcast and it really helped me get through this hard time. And those things though, like sometimes people just think, oh, it's a comment. She may not read it or whatever. 
I read every single one of those comments and those stay in my heart and they help. But it's also, um, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I actually had my first haters that came out after I did the interview on the doctor's TV show. And really? I, Why? I, and I cried. I'm going to admit right now I cried Yeah. because I wasn't expecting it and I wasn't expecting it from the group. This is why I stress how important it is to really be in a support group who, and Trent Shelton talks a lot about this, like oh, yeah. people who you think that, or they've got your back, but they really don't. Right. Um, so I was in a support group for, for complex regional pain syndrome. And when I did the interview on the doctors, it was like an eight minute segment, which they shortened to like two and a half minutes. And so you, it's really hard to describe your whole story and then tell all the treatments that you've done and then what you do about your pain. And so they only got like, it was a motorcycle accident. I had all these surgeries and this is what I do for my pain and it works. And so the people that have CRPS didn't feel like I was a good representative for the nerve disease because I was smiling on TV. I had shoes on, which with this nerve disease, it is, I don't have shoes on right now. It's hard to wear shoes some days because of the pain feels like you have a vice grip on your foot. And so, um, I just wasn't prepared for, I felt like it was my own people that were like, you're crap, you're horrible. And you know, my husband has got a very thick skin and he was like, congratulations, man. You got some haters now, you know, you're, you're not really making it unless you got some haters. And I'm like, well, it's not for me. It's not about making it, whatever that is. It's about being of service and trying to help others. And I was just trying to help people and I wasn't expecting for this, but you know, what it comes down to is and the AA community can be vicious about stuff, right? Especially when you're in the media. Um, and I, I trust me, I, I, I didn't go to, to meetings and you and I have talked about this and I support AA and NA and well, I don't talk about AA in, in media. I talk about a 12 step. Well, no, I know, but I guess one of the pushbacks I've gotten is I, people who didn't even know I never went to a, to a 12 step program. Mm -hmm would be like, oh, you're not supposed to be doing media. Like you're not supposed to be like getting paid for this. And yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Like you're not, it's not like you're being paid to speak at a 12 step meeting. You're actually, you're getting your message. Not, I'm not saying you're paid to be on the doctors. I'm just saying this generically. One of the things I've gotten pushed back on, which I relate to. Um, and yeah, you're right. Hurt people hurt people. And mm -hmm. the more successful you, you do get, there's going to be a lot of people that are jealous of you. They're envious of you. They're like, wow, she made it. She actually did the work. She actually. Well, that's what it is though. It's work. Yeah. I, I work every day to be in. And, and it took all I had to get dressed, get to, you know, the Sony studios and show up and sit there. Like I was on a panel with the doctors and then I said, you know what? You would be smiling too. If you had Dr. Stork looking at you, I was like, he's dreamy. Of course I'm going to be smiling. <laughs> yeah. It's well, it's funny. I, I, and I always use this. I heard on a Joe Rogan podcast, he said, people who leave like negative comments on your stuff just are obviously not, you're not experiencing some success. And I'm not saying that if you put something like polarizing out there, like you make a post that's like X, you make something really polarizing that you're not going to get somebody who gives you pushback. But when you're doing something, you know, and positive and you're sharing yourself, Joe Rogan was like, you don't see like Michael Jordan leaving YouTube comments, right? Yeah. You don't have to, people who are achieving stuff and working on themselves don't have time. 
Like mm-hmm. they don't have time to do that. Like, mm-hmm. nor, nor would they want that to waste their energy on that. So, um, and yeah, I mean, and I think it comes back to in recovery, right? We have this mission to help others, right? And so sometimes we can get caught up in if somebody doesn't like what we're doing, we take it personally because we're trying to be of service and help, but then mm-hmm. on the receipt, it's on the receiving end. It's not taken so well. Like, well, I had to let that go because yeah, you have to, I, right? I had all of that going on and I was about to get on stage at a conference and speak in front of like a thousand women for, um, uh, uh an empowerment conference for women. And How so powerful you, right? Yes. That one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the, you know, things it was like, okay, I wasn't feeling very confident or empowered and I'm supposed to get on stage. And so I had to take a step back and like be in a little bit of silence and just connect back to my mission and my why. And you know what? It really just made me believe in my message even more. And I think sometimes the universe will throw things your way as a way to test you. Do you really believe in what you're, you're saying? Do you really believe in your message? What is your why? Because I've been tested over and over and over. And I know that what I'm doing when I use my method, the PACER method, which stands for perspective, acceptance, community, endurance, and rest, that's what I use every day to strengthen my resilience, to get me through everything. And you know what? It's free. Anybody can use it. Um, it's about shifting your perspective and looking at things a little bit differently. It is acceptance, starting where you are, using what you have and doing what you can. It's surrounding yourself with, with a great community. It's endurance is all about like, we all could work on our stamina a little bit. It's about getting gritty, showing up and keep going forward no matter what. But the last part of Pacer is rest. And I feel like what's going on right now has really, believe it or not, it that my husband always says, well, you don't rest. You don't. And I was like, I have to add the R. It can't be just the pace method. It has to be Pacer because in order to be resilient, we have to be able to recover, to reboot, exactly. to recalibrate. Yeah. And so this whole situation right now has been a little bit of a blessing to me because I was supposed to travel next week to go to an event to, and I love to travel. I love going to speak at conferences, but for the past two years, I've been traveling nonstop. And so I think it's a blessing for me right now to be home and, and really connect with my family more and love on them a little bit more. And then if I miss people, I can FaceTime them. But, um, I think it's all about how we look at things. And for me, this is kind of a really good way of rebooting and reconnecting with your soul. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, what you just said was just so spot on and being able to be of service, being able to um, be where your feet are at, right? Like being able to have the perspective on what things are going on, accepting it, having your community and, you know, and rest is so it's oh so overlooked too because we're always on the run we're like go getters and being able to step back and have perspective and reflect is is equally as important so mm-hmm. you so right now we're going through a really trying time right so i'll as we kind of come bring this all to a close like what are some of the biggest things i mean it could be your pacer method it couldn't be 
could not be that have gotten you through really tough times that have allowed you to use um, the downtimes to your advantage? Has it been the pacer method you think, or is it? Well, it is pacer for sure because it's all those things that I do. But um, because that is like I had to, I had to develop a toolbox, and and how that came to me is one of my girlfriends. We were actually at an event, and I looked at her and I said, "Okay, uh, we need to go. I can't stand up any longer." And on the way home, she said, "Amberly, how do you do it?" She goes, "How do you go to events and you do all these things and you continue to work out and you know you still you're still training you're doing all how do you do it when other right. people can't what is it she goes you need to figure out what you do every day and that's what you need to share and so I re- I went home that night for dinner and my husband looked at me he said he he goes you look tired he goes you really need to pace yourself. And I was like, well, I do pace myself. I do all these things. I started writing down on a piece of uh, actually a dinner napkin, what I did every day. And that's how I really look deep at what is it that I do every single day. But it's not just that. It's that no matter what is going on, it's so important to have a morning routine and a nightly routine. And it's something that I share with every single one of my clients is have a morning routine so that you have an intention for the day that you're in control of your day of what you're going to do for the day. If I didn't have a morning routine where I sat and, you know, I have uh, some time to meditate. I have time to write my journal. I have time to pray, which allows me to set my intention. It allows me to ask for what I need. Then I start my day. And at night, I'm go through my gratitude list again. In fact, I have a gratitude jar on my bedside table and me and my daughter sit in bed. We have cuddle time with our dog. And then we write down on a little card, what we're grateful for. And I think it's so important to do that because it puts you, you, your mindset in more of a positive light. It puts you focused on what you do have. And so, so more than just the, the pacer and doing all the things that I've said about shifting your perspective and, and being acceptance, it's really getting up every day and being willing to do the work to get better. Cause it's not easy. I'm going to tell you right now, it's not easy. It's hard every day. I saw a post this morning on Facebook and it was somebody that has chronic illness or invisible illness and chronic pain. They said, what everybody's experiencing right now with being isolated, not being able to go to work and experiencing this, this pain and this and that, that's what people with chronic illness deal with every single day. And so it's an interesting perspective it. to, it's an interesting perspective to have. And I've never really thought about it. That, that well, way, if you look right? at me, I look fine, right? I don't look like I have a disease. no. When I, well, when I saw when you went, I was like, there's no way. I mean, not to say, I mean, not to say that I didn't believe you, but I was like, really? Like, this is like what, um, this is what like you have, like really like suicide disease and nearly losing your leg. Like when I saw that doctor's video, I was like, holy crap. And I just remember the amount of respect I gained for you. Not that I didn't respect you already, but I was like, for someone to battle back from that alone is a lot. Then the battle back from this entire, this another huge thing was addiction. Mm-hmm. And you live in LA, which is extremely hard. I think you fall into the comparison trap of 
what you're doing, how you look, all that stuff. Right. I mean, which I had to learn that acceptance wasn't so easy. It's easier said than done. Yeah. I really had to learn to accept all my scars. Cause I used to look down at my leg and I hated the way I looked. I was embarrassed of the way I looked. I didn't want anybody to see me. I didn't feel attractive. I felt like my husband could get, this isn't the person he married. He could find a better wife. I wasn't capable of being the provider that I was before. I couldn't chase after my kids. Now, did this affect um, your relationships too? Like, were you like, Oh, I think anytime we go through any kind of trauma, it doesn't ever just affect us. It affects our relationships, whether it is our partners or our children or our, you know, our loved ones, it affects every, everyone. And so it's learning to adapt to that new life, um, what we call our new normal. And thank God I have a husband that has been supportive. He actually loved me and loved my leg way before I loved me or loved myself again. And he was there for me to help kind of shift my perspective in the way that I viewed myself. And I only, my worth came from what I could provide and what I could do and what I looked like. And when I was left with nothing is when I had to really figure out, well, what is my self-worth? What, where do I gain that? Where do I gain confidence from? And the day that I was able to slowly start to accept and love my leg as deformed and scarred as it is, it was freedom. And now I show my daughters that they can love themselves and accept themselves no matter what they look like. In fact, you know, my youngest daughter, she's a horseback rider. And if she's not riding a horse, she's pretending to be a horse. And the other day she fell and just blew open her leg. We had to go to the emergency room, her legs, guts. I'm like, it looks like there's guts everywhere. It was just really bad. So she had to get like eight stitches in her leg. Oh, wow. And it got infected. And so we went back to the doctor and he's looking at it and he goes, Oh, well, I'm not so sure about your future with your modeling legs. And she goes, well, I don't want to be a model. I don't care about a scar. I want to be a horseback rider. And I thought, praise God for that because she could have let, and he didn't mean any harm in that, but she could have let those words from someone that is respected as a doctor make her embarrassed of her leg or make her, what if she did want to be a model and her dreams were crushed, but I have shown her that she can be tough. She can have scars. She can look however she wants to look. And her worth is not based on whether she's going to have modeling legs or not, you know, whether she's going to have scars or she's going to have perfect skin because what is perfect anyway, what is perfection? And I think per perfect is boring anyway. So I'm glad I can be a role model for my daughters to live um, without feeling like they have to be perfect. Like you said, especially in a city like LA where so much is based on your looks. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the way you just said it, I think the, the reason your daughter has that perspective, I think it goes back to the way that you've probably raised her. Right. And um and showing that it life isn't all about looks, it's who you are as a person inside. Yes, you want to be healthy, you want to take care of yourself. But if you put if you hang your hat on that, as we've talked about, you're setting yourself up for for failure. So what I want to the last question I ask every single guest is, is something that 
you know, I want you to really imagine you're talking to, say, we talk, say you're talking to your daughter right now. Let's just say like she's going through a hor- horrific time in her life um, outside of what's going on today with the corona- mm-hmm. coronavirus. And she's really like in the depths of despair. She's just come home and she's like, you know what? Like, I don't, I don't know if I want to do this or that anymore. Like, what would you tell her? Like, what kind of advice would you give her? Hmm. I think I would say that, you know, for me, if I would have known to trust my, my gut and listen to my heart, because, you know, when you're young, people can say things and people that you respect, whether it's a parent or a step parent or a grandparent or a coach and man, they can say things that, that really break your spirit or they try to anyway. And I think I would tell my younger self to, that, to listen to my gut, that your gut never lies, that that inner wisdom is where you're going to find all of your answers and to always trust her and always stay connected to your higher power because you're never alone in anything that you do. You're always surrounded with love. So you can do and be anything that you want to be. All you have to do is just show up. Amen to that. I I honestly don't have anything else to say to that. I mean, Amberly, you're a true inspiration. Um, And the the way you carry about yourself is very, um, it's noticeable. And I think a lot of people respect you for that. So if people want to get connected with you more, I know you're very active on Instagram. You're at Amberly Largo Motivation, right? Mm -hmm. Got your True Grit and Grace podcast. Mm-hmm. You got your true grit and grace book that's available on Amazon. All the, the links will be um, in the show notes. Um, anything, anything else? Thank you. No, but also if people want to, so I have been working on building a course for a year, like a year. It yeah, has yeah, taken me that, yeah. a year <laughs> and it's all about transformation, mind, body, and spirit. And it's about strengthening your resilience. And so I have a mastermind and it's called your unstoppable life mastermind. And if you're interested in that, you can see all the details for it. And it's, I talk so much about having a community. And so it's really about meeting, you know, every week, and listening to a live webinar with Q&A. It's about connecting with like-minded people who you can, you know, connect with and who understand what you're going through. And it's just about being in a private group so you can see a daily mantra and talk to one another. So I'm doing that mastermind group. It's starting soon, but the link for more information on that is on my website at amberlylago.com. So hope to see people in the course. Awesome. Yeah. And I'll be sure, I'll be sure to include that in the show notes as well. Amberly, this has been quite a treat to be able to get your wisdom. Um, it's just, if it, it just felt like, um, very, uh, very genuine and what you have built is very, um, it's, it's very inspirational considering the stuff you've went through. So, um, thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you, you so much for having me on. You are just a sweetheart and I just appreciate you so much. And, um, thanks for doing the live with me this morning too. <laughs> oh, you got it. I think we were able to help some people. So, um, yeah, but once again, I think everybody, you're going to enjoy this episode or hopefully you've enjoyed this episode with Amberly Largo. Um, just the true tale of 
turning negative into a positive and using the, her adversity to her advantage. Um, I'm Doug Bopes, and um, I love to hear your feedback on the show and this episode. So please slide me, slide me a DM, a review, whatever it is, and um, we'll see you next time. Have a good one.